John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 453.EX1524, certificate number 25939. Fenta! I think we've talked about it on the show before, but just in case futurelings don't know, you love Fanta. You do love Fanta, but you love Diet Dr. Pepper. Very much so. You drink a Diet Dr. Pepper, if I have one for you, every time you come. Today I brought my own, because I didn't know if you guys were running low. We were at the grocery, and um, now it's on the regular shopping list. Get Ken some Diet Dr. Pepper. The, there was a... It so- offends me, because that my preferred soda pop is never on the list. Which is Venter, Ventner's Ginger Ale. It's going to be some <laughs> old-timey thing that was invented by a pharmacist. No, I only drink the uh, Irish pop urn brew. <laughs> there was a time early in the pandemic when Diet Dr. Pepper was just unfindable hmm. in America. Because it was so gross that they... That <laughs> People... It made you get COVID? No, if you lose your sense of smell and taste, you should love Dr. Pepper. Oh, I see. No, everyone loves the complex 23 flavors of a, of a delicious can of Dr. Pepper. I'm a pepper, and my great-grandfather was a pepper. Interesting. He... Uh, According to my mom, used to go downtown in Van Wert, Ohio, and while my great-grandmother was shopping, he would get a Dr. Pepper and stand on the street corner and uh, drink his Dr. Pepper slowly over the course of the afternoon and greet all the people walking by, stop and talk to people. It was Dr. Pepper. This is in the 1930s? I mean, of all the things you could drink back then, you know, nobody's drinking cherry phosphates today. Right. But Dr. Pepper going strong. Going strong. Still. Like perhaps as relevant as relevant as it ever was. But Dr. Pepper is pretty distinctively American, not just because it's an American pop, but because it's uh, I want to say Waco, Texas. Is that the origin of Dr. Pepper? But I think it has a taste that people in other parts oh, of see. the world uh, would think tasted like medicine. That's the thing that I always heard about root beer. Yeah. Like when we were living in Asia and I'd be like, how come we can't get root beer? My dad would always say, uh, nobody but Americans would ever drink root beer. To everyone else, it just tastes like, yeah, like a, a cough syrup of some kind. It's, I've had this conversation in Europe so much and they really, I've, I've 
I've plied them with delicious root beer, and they cannot stand it. I don't see it. What, Tastes like cough syrup. But what is the? Do they have different medicines we don't have? Because I'm trying to think what our most root beery medicine is. Uh, they, I've actually had European root beer where where it's from um, actual roots. Well, no, that they were like, hey, and it actually had an American flag on the label, like oh, American I root see. beer, yeah. and it was terrible. It didn't taste anything like root beer. I don't know, but Dr Pepper does feel like. Cherry root beer, something that's just a bun- it's just a mix of kind of fruity things. Yeah, fruity ish. It, it's not that different than the cola flavor, which is also just a mix of common flavorings you wouldn't taste together. Maybe some vanilla, some citrus, some cinnamon. You've never had them all together, and well, and it, the world loves it. Some Coke. Did you? I'd know like to buy the world a Coke. John. That's right. Coke is still the most popular soda pop in the world, and probably top five in brands of any kind. Of any kind, right? I'd like to buy the world a Diet Dr Pepper. Mm, the world doesn't want it. No, I'd like to buy it for them, and then they they'd just drink it anyway because they'd get a free one the, from me. The world wants to pour your Diet Dr Pepper out <laughs> in the gutter. They're going to wash their clothes in it. Apparently, uh, ten years ago, no less a person than Ira Glass got to the bottom of the Coca-Cola secret 7X potion. 7X is what the the Coca-Cola founding family calls their secret flavoring mix, right? That's right. And, and then the people who know it will never travel on a plane together. And- yeah. There's only two people that know the formula. It's kept in a safe in the Georgia Trust Bank. Um, and yeah, the, the, the two executives can't ever be in the same... Time zone or something. They can't be in the same room or they will or they will kiss. But then uh, I, I But re- you know what? This is all just marketing hooey, isn't it? It's marketing hooey, maybe, but can you every regional grocery chain can make its own fake cola and but, it won't t- taste quite like Coke, but it's not like it's a mystery how that flavor is arrived at. It's the seven X flavor. Apparently Ira Glass How did he figure it out? Well, he So the the original inventor of Coke was a man named John Pemberton. Yes. And then Pemberton sold the recipe to Asa Griggs in the same way that uh, Roy Kroc, you know, ended R- Roy up. Roy Kroc took over from the McDonald brothers? Right. So if your name is Ira, do you just know everything that someone named Asa knows? No. So Ira, you know, he's, he's researching some story and he's in the archives of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and he finds oh, I remember a this. piece of paper stuck in an old leather-bound notebook that was that belonged to the to Pemberton's best friend, a guy named R.R. Evans. And he and uncovers a torrid romance between these two late 19th century men. That's right. That that's why the two executives can't be in the same room because they might kiss, because R.R. Evans and Pemberton kissed as soon as they both knew the, the formula. It's the it's a love potion is what, what it what is. What kind of note would you send to your friends that includes the secret the syrups in the secret ingredient of your product? Hey, would you go out to the store and buy the following in the following proportions? <laughs> so he so Ira Glass reported this um this magic recipe which And Coke had him killed. Coke had him killed. He Three can ounces, never go to Atlanta again. What does it say here? Three ounces of citric acid, one ounce of caffeine. I didn't know you could just Buy an ounce of caffeine. Yeah, it's like a white bitter powder. Oh, yeah. Uh, 30 of sugar. It's not clear what (laughs) amount 30 is. No, I think they're saying it might be pounds. 
uh, it, three ounces true, of citric the, acid and 30 pounds of sugar. The acid and the caffeine will be trace elements compared to the sugar, for yeah. sure. Two and a half gallons of water, two pints of lime juice, one ounce of vanilla. I'm giving it away here on the op for, to, for, for future links. It should be in there. Now, you're going to be shot. You'll never be allowed within the city limits of Atlanta again. But then into every five gallons of syrup, you add two ounces. Cocaine. Of, well, wait a minute. No. Oh, so then... Every five gallons of syrup, get, it gets two ounces of the following mixture, which is made up of eight ounces of alcohol, 20 drops of orange oil, 30 drops of lemon oil, 10 drops of nutmeg oil, five drops of coriander oil. Coriander? If, you, if you had coriander on your, uh, <laughs> on your <laughs> on Coke your bingo. recipe bingo card. <laughs> 10 drops of neroli oil which I use Don't every day, know what that is. and 10 drops of cinnamon oil. Then you mix that all together, and then you put two ounces of it into five gallons of the rest of the syrup. Anyway, very exciting. Neroli's bitter orange. No one cares. Well, th that can't actually be the contemporary recipe. I mean, if nothing else, if nothing else, all these natural oils and juices would be replaced with cheaper synthetic esters today, right? There's right. A, it's an industrial process to make Coke now, not a... Not a guy with a wooden spoon. Yeah, they had to take the cocaine out first, and then eventually True. probably had to find a way to to say that high fructose corn syrup was the same as sugar. But it, I guess there is the idea that you could, if you mixed up Ira's stuff, it would taste like a Coke. Go go ahead and try as a futureling. I don't I mean, have I don't have enough pounds of neroli oil at home. <laughs> this is the thing. There are lots of. Uh, futurelings that have heritage chickens in their backyard right now, and they go out every morning and collect their eggs. But I can get those same eggs or close by going to the store and buying them with dollars. And I feel the same is true of Coke. My interest in making my own Coke is uh, pretty low. Um, but Coke, Coke, uh, however it's made, and and I and I recommend that if you want a Coke, you just buy one. Uh, they're they're for sale everywhere. Some you don't even have to talk to a person. Sometimes machines mm, will give you machines. one. How, how, what would you guess is the most popular pop in the world? Mm, and you say pop, by the way, soda pop. It's, it might be confusing to people. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. So I'm from one of the tiny little parts of the United States that calls pop pop soda pop. We, we call it pop. I grew up calling it pop. And it was only when I was a, a full-grown adult that I realized that the people that called it soda didn't understand what I meant when I said pop. And then you go down to, to the South, uh, Georgia and environs, and they just call everything Coke. I, I'd like a Coke. What flavor? 7-Up. Yeah, they say, yeah, I'd like an orange Coke or a root beer Coke. But, but I've never understood. I've looked at the maps of the United States because it's one of those things that you can kind of determine where somebody is in the from the U.S. That, do they say roof? Do they say roof? Um, do they call a? Are they from that one weird part of New Jersey that thinks water fountains are bubblers? Bubblers, yeah, bubblers. Uh, and I, I, I like on those, by the way, when they have the option like we don't have a name for this, uh -huh. and that that that, that <laughs> often happens. It'll be like. Some of these surveys. What's a drinking fountain? No, it'll literally be like, what's the name for when it's sunny and rainy both? And I'll be like, I don't have a name for that. And then it'll be like, if you're in Alabama, you say, the devil is beating his wife. Yeah. If you're, really? <laughs> like some of these are like literally concepts we don't even have. Yeah. I always feel like, what is that? That's like, look, go look for a rainbow. 
It's called Go Look for a Rainbow Hour. It doesn't have a name. But I guess it's Sun Shower somewhere, but then there's other oh, sun but then there's other weird idioms for it, often involving Satan and his minions. Growing up partly in Seattle and partly in Alaska, we said pop, but of course that's my mom and dad saying pop. What did you say growing up in Seattle and Korea? I think we kind of split the difference by saying soda pop, but like on the maps I'm looking at, Washington I mean a lot of most of the land area of the United States is pop. Pop? Territory, yeah. Oh, but there's just nobody Could, lives in those places. Pretty much. We have the whole, Pop has the whole northern half of the country from, you know, um, Finger Lakes region of New York through the upper Midwest, Chicago, all the way down through Kansas, Colorado, Utah, Mountain West, and then up through up through Washington and Oregon. People say Pop in all those places. Yeah, like the only strong soda majorities are like California, Nevada, Arizona. But there, I think there are strong, oh, that's not true. And then the Northeast and yeah, parts right. of Wisconsin. Where everybody lives. Yeah, where everybody Only lives. California, New York, and Florida say soda. But uh, for a pop count, for pop counties here in the Northwest, we have a lot of soda minority. We have a, a vibrant soda minority. Yeah. Transplants, people from other places. That's how you can tell. But even as a kid, I think I heard soda pop. I think I heard soda pop, soda or pop. That feels like a split the difference. That That's like. That's some Bellinghamming right there where people are like, I don't want to get in the controversy. You know, I just realized my parents said is they would say Sodi. Sodi. Which I think is a little bit Southern. Yeah. Were they Okies from Muskogee? My dad's family is, is Okie adjacent. Oh, well, there it is. That's where Sodi comes from. Texas, Oklahoma border. Yeehaw. I'm hungry for, I'm thirsty for refreshing Sodi. Well, Coke is the most popular pop or soda. And I don't, I can't even begin to imagine what people around the world call it, English-speaking people. The funny thing is they've probably standardized an English-speaking word. It's just the actual native English speakers that can't agree. Uh, but Coke is, as I think everybody knows, the most popular uh, pop in the world. And but, marketed on that image. Like, yeah. we're the global thing that brings countries together. Even though Pepsi was the one that got behind the Iron Curtain first. Right, but Coke has always, Coke has in most cases, always been very strongly identified with the United States. And so the yeah. freewheeling fun of Coke and its crispy Coke taste. It's one of those brands like Levi's and yeah. and uh, Corvette, you know, Chevrolet that kind of convey a certain kind of American cool to the world. Right. Iconic kind of American flav. But what would you say was the second most popular uh, pop in the world? And I'll give you a hint. It's not Diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> It's not, that's not even the second most popular soda in this room. It's not even the second most popular Dr. Pepper. <laughs> but you, go ahead. you like the cherry vanilla? <laughs> I do. There, you know, it's hard because soft drinks are very regionalized. Yes. Right? Yes. Like um, my kids were long fascinated with this Asian soda that's basically like carbonated milk solids. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like got a milky dairy thing going mm. on. Uh, you can get lychee fruit. Pop. Sure. So like if we get... go to taco trucks, they'll always want some weird tamarind or guava, jaritos. Yep. We, and we, did we talk about how other countries don't like root beer because it tastes like medicine? It tastes chemically. So they, you know, they can't believe some of the stuff we drink. Um, yeah. It's, well, it is extremely regional, but there is a sort of global second pop. Are you about to say the F word? I'm about to say the F word. It is, in fact, Fanta. So when I was a kid, I had never seen or heard of Fanta until we moved to South Korea in the early 80s. And, and then it was so, everywhere. It was everywhere. Like, your choices were Coke or Fanta, because that's, that's not true. They had 7-Up, um, uh, lemon-lime sodas there were called Cida, mm -hmm. confusingly. They don't have cider in them, but 
So they existed, domestic lemon-lime sodas. But if you wanted a flavored orange or grape soda, you had Fanta, which I don't think if I wanted an orange or grape soda in my Happy Meal as a kid, it would not have been Fanta, right? Well, you're not wrong in remembering a uh, dearth of Fanta. The great Fanta shortage? Yeah, because in the late 80s, the Coca-Cola company uh, stopped selling Fanta in the United States. Oh, but they were. Like, as a kid, you drank Fanta. Fanta was introduced to the U.S. in 1960, and by the by, my childhood in the 70s, Fanta was a uh, was a popular option. If you got uh, if you got orange pop at the roller skating rink, uh, you could ask for Fanta by name. It would be Fanta. I just realized one more thing that's interesting, which yes. is that Korea doesn't have the letter F. Oh, so Fanta there was impossible to express in the local alphabet, and it would be called Juanta. 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 Which is kind of close to... Qantas. And Juanitos. <laughs> and Haritos. <laughs> Haritos, right. Um, so Fanta was a was a, absolutely a part of my childhood, and it was only after I graduated from high school that Coke decided to stop selling it here, although it is the second most popular pop globally. Why would they discontinue one of their flagship brands? Because Coke is one of these American corporations that has so many big ideas and so many smaller brands. They decided at that point that they were going to push their Minute Maid brand oh, in the US. Oh, they already owned Minute Maid. Yeah. yeah, and they wanted Minute Maid to be the new orange soda pop uh, that was available at McDonald's. And I mean, there weren't even roller rinks were closing globally. So the roller rink market was changing. Coke bought Minute Maid in 1960. I think of them as like a juice and lemonade company, like high C. Like I think I knew Coke made high C. Right. Which is even, even more of a, of a pop than Fanta. Just a sugary mess. Yeah. I mean, Fanta doesn't have any actual orange in it in the United States, any, or any, like orange fruit in it right. in the United States. And Minute Maid didn't during this period either. But then in the late 90s, someone, some new young executive at Coke with with big pads in their suit jacket shoulders. His or her suit jacket. Said, uh, we, should, we should pivot and have Minute Maid be actual juice. Mm. It'll be one of our healthy brands. And so they reintroduced Fanta in 2001 in the United States with a whole new branding campaign. But still no fruit in it? No fruit. Fruit is is not necessary in making an orange pop. I want to put out a shout out for, uh, put in a shout out for Pepsi's Fanta competitor of the late 80s, Slice. Slice. Do you remember Slice? Of course I remember. Well, you know, you couldn't get Fanta, so you had to have Slice. And the gimmick was that it did have juice. Like my parents were very excited. Oh, have a slice. It's healthier. You know, yeah. you're still just drinking a can of fizzy sugar Super water, sugar. but it's got 8% orange juice. Well, and Fanta in other parts of the world does, depending on where you are, sometimes have real juice in it. Depending on where you are, it can also have like muskrat teeth. Or <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Uh, uranium panda byproducts. Bl- panda blood. I had a very exciting moment going to the mail the other day. Oh, what John, happened? I got sent... Some amazing new products from Native. I got some too. Were yours like, were yours flavors that had cupcake in the name? I have been using their mint cookie cupcake body wash, or maybe it's mint cupcake cookie body wash. Two different baked goods in my body wash, cookie and cupcake. 
Because I before I had this, I would have to stand in the shower and just rub cookies and cupcakes all over my body, and it wasn't helping. I had a, I got a lot of ants on me. Well, I had two I had two things go on. When I opened it, I was like, "Is this going to? How is this going to be cookie and cupcake?" And when I smelled it, it was both cookie and cupcake. And then, of course, I thought, "Why would I want that in my soap?" But then it turned out I really like it. I also got some fresh peach cupcake. I think it was deodorant. I can't remember which was which. And it really does smell like a fresh peach cupcake, <laughs> if that's a thing. So like the hard part is just like making sure you you rub it on your underarms and right. not and not just eat the whole thing in one sitting. Well, so this body wash, uh, it's a it's a, a, a large bottle, and I've been using it every day, and uh, it tingles in a refreshing minty way. But the cupcake and cookie thing, it goes so naturally with my normal sort of cupcakey scent that um, it's, a, it's a, a pleasure to have with me all day long. It's a collaboration with a tiny cupcake bakery called Baked by Melissa. Okay. These are like based on the delicious creations of that uh, company's founder, Melissa Ben Ishe, mixed with natives. We've plugged these before. Simple but effective formulations. To surprise and delight consumers with every wash and swipe. When I wash and I swipe, mm-hmm. I like to be delighted every single time. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, Native delivers. So other brands, it might be every three times, every six times even. Not Native. You know what a drag it is to swipe and not be delighted. Oh, it's the worst. So You, you just keep swiping, hoping to feel something. Yeah. Feel something. I used to feel something when I swiped. So the Native Baked by Melissa collection has four separate scents available in deodorant, body wash, and shampoo and conditioner. And they still have the same guarantees you come to expect from Native. It's aluminum-free, vegan and cruelty-free. The ingredients are naturally derived. You'll recognize everything on the label, if that matters to you. The limited edition scents are tie-dye vanilla cupcake, mint cookie cupcake, that solves that question, fresh peach cupcake, and ginger lemonade cupcake. Mm, smell and feel fresh all day long with Native. And you'll get 20% off your first order by going to nativedo.com slash omnibus or use promo code omnibus at checkout. That's nativedo.com slash omnibus or use promo code omnibus at checkout for 20% off your first order. Delight in every swipe. Fanta... So when, Fanta, when did Fanta come back? Here? Well, you might remember its reintroduction because it was brought back with a very splashy ad campaign. Is this the Dancing Girls? Yeah. Do you remember uh, what they were called? The Fantanas. The Fantanas. So I have a very vague idea that they're kind of, they look like kind of like, uh, you know, spicy Latin dancers. Well, spicy is not wrong. They are very Spice Girl uh, adjacent. Oh, they were like a, a, a girl group? They were like, they, they're, yeah, Spice Girl they have tall boots and short skirts or unitards, and they are, um, I think, what what Coke would have called ethnic girls. Kind of know. non-specifically. Yeah, they were supposed to come from a tropical island. Yeah, they had like a they had like a Caribbean vibe, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the reason was as Coke was uh, casting about trying to decide uh, how to reintroduce orange pop. Uh, now that now that uh, Minute Maid was going to become the healthy brand, yeah, they could have done anything they wanted. I mean, Coke has hundreds of brands. They could have called it Orangey Orange. They could have they, been just invented Zest, yeah. like Slice, and exactly. had a splashy new a, spra- a splashy new fruit. Exactly, brand. Zesty Zest. 
but they reintroduced Fanta uh, because it was such a huge brand in Latin America and in Europe. And America had so many people who had emigrated here from around the world and so many Americans who had visited other countries that they wanted to collect and capture all that pro Fanta energy. That's true. That like the BFE, big Fanta <laughs> energy. If I guess if it's true that if you've been overseas a lot, or even if you're just first or second generation, you have family members who grew up drinking orange Fanta and grape Fanta. Like, yeah. It's a, you've got built in brand recognition for a huge chunk of the country. That's right. Which you wouldn't have if you just cold launched rind or (laughs) pith or something. (laughs) And, and the Fantanas also kind of, uh, the, the energy of Fanta in America, at least went really teen, teeny bopper. And the Fantanas had a kind of like, Hey kids, um, very Chester cheese, yeah, sort of pandering. They were like, the slogan was "Wanna Fanta," which seems like it's intentionally echoing "Wannabe," the Spice Girls song, right? Yeah, yeah. like this is the group that young girls want to dress like, and boys think are cute. And there's ads in Maxim, right? And that continues to this day. Uh, the new newest. Oh, there's still Fantanas. No, not Fantanas, but the latest uh, Fanta, uh, the latest Fanta product, and. Big push, uh, people at at uh, Fanta, and I think the executives no longer have big shoulder pads in their jackets. The executives now probably wear open collared shirts, casual Friday, expensive jeans. Coca Cola executives of the eighties were probably sniffing all the cocaine that used to go into the into the Seven X. Yeah, right. But they now ha- are describing Fanta as part of an omnisensorial experience that uh, lots of what would that even mean? Lots of TikTokers it talk, it talks to you. Well, no, it has, um, it's trying to capitalize on the success of bubble tea and it has oh. actual goop in it. It's got, it's got little balls floating in it. Well, and I don't even know if they're orbular. They may be little Swedish fish little swimming blobs. around. And the, the new packaging, it's called jelly fizz. You can get jelly fizz in orange and raspberry. There's also sour tingle. Uh, these are for tastemakers and Instagrammers. Okay. And you're actually supposed to shake the can. They're, part of their branding is like, no, 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 shake the can. It's not like the old days where you weren't supposed to shake your pop. Now you shake it, and it shakes up all the This is the Trump era. There are the no goop. taboos. There are no the for, taboos. The forbidden is now compulsory. That's right. I guess I can see why. Like Otherwise, all the, the blobs would be at the bottom. Blech. You need them to be s- submerged. Yeah, you need to mix it up with your sugar fizz. Mm, I don't know if I want boba tea in an aluminum can. I don't even know if boba tea is right, but it's. It, I haven't had one. They may only be available in Australia. <laughs> uh, but I had the experience that I think a lot of Americans do uh, on, on my first trip overseas, which was during the big Fanta ban here in the United States, in kind of stepping off the airplane and being hit by a Fanta bomb. There's so much... Fanta. Fanta's everywhere. Outside of the United States. Fanta billboards, whole Fanta. aisles of the store, just different colors of Fanta. Fanta, Fanta, Fanta. Everywhere you go. And especially me as a non-drinker, when I would be in a bar or at an event and I would say, I don't drink, the first thing anybody would say is, well, do you want a Fanta? I mean, that's basically all we have other than Coke. It's so funny because it's an American brand, but it basically has this if you know or like anything about it, it's like having the internationalized flavor of saying you're a, 
a rugby fan or a fan of South American football or something, right? Like, yeah. oh, yeah, I love uh, pineapple Fanta. Delicious Fanta. And I, the funny thing is I grew up drinking Fanta, but I, I still think of it as kind of a weird store brand thing. Well, and I grew up drinking it too and, and, um, and then drank it throughout my time on tour as a, as a, a, a rock band in Europe. Fanta was my go-to drink. And I always loved orange pop as a kid, and I grew to to kind of be dependent on it because a lot of times it's the only thing that isn't beer. You're eighty percent Fanta now. I, when they draw blood, for a while I was, and and you cannot uh, you cannot find it in such profusion here at all. I mean, Fanta is just one of two hundred brands that Coke at any given moment is trying to decide whether or not to cancel or not. I mean, if, th- just the other day, Coke decided they were no longer no longer going to make Tab. And they I can't were, believe Tab was still around. They were canceling Odwalla. Oh, and, Odwalla. And I remember when Odwalla was a, a scrappy. That was their little healthy juice brand, right? Well, but I. But or was I, it Snapple? I can't remember. No, it was it was it was Odwalla. But I always felt like Odwalla was an independent company that got bought by Coke, and then Coke decided just recently that they weren't going to make it anymore. I did ads for Odwalla, so I'm very sad if they're going. Did away. you? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they were already Coke by the time they hired me. I the guess. The personal connection to Odwalla. Yeah, if I was going to order an orange soda in the States, I don't think I would expect it to be Fanta. It would be Sunkist or something. Right, right? Sunkist, sure. Sunkist has, uh, you know what's funny about Sunkist is the orange soda has caffeine in it. Yeah. Nor- normally only found in, um, in, in colas. colas, but you know, all these, unbeknownst to all these parents that are filling their kid with orange soda, you're probably also going to keep your kid up all night if it's Sunkist. My experience of Fanta was kind of similar to yours, uh, seeing it everywhere overseas and feeling like, wait a minute, this is an American brand. Um, it was kind of like the first time I went overseas and saw Ford cars that I'd never seen right. before that were manufactured in Germany or realizing that Opel was a GM brand. It's like Voice of America. It's American, but it's not for us. Right, exactly. We, we don't really see it. Like, oh, these Fords are interesting. I mean, when you know the Road Warrior in in uh, in Australia was driving the last of the V eight Interceptors. It's like it was the, an American brand. It's like the Fords they make jokes about in Monty Python sketches or whatever. The yeah. Ford Anglia or <laughs> yeah. or whatever it is. So I was I was confused and a little offended that uh, that we weren't benefiting from. This classic American brand. Yes, and no presidential candidate would ever mention this. Yeah, that's right. What the heck? What, you know, I don't remember. I'll vote for anybody who comes out in favor of. That's why I voted for John Anderson twice. I don't remember why, uh, uh, ever seeing Ronald Reagan in some Wehrmacht cemetery hoisting up a, a, a Fanta. And that is not a, like a weird comparison to make because Fanta so? has a strange history. I put Fanta on my list of potential omnibus uh topics only because I wanted to get to the bottom of why is it so omnipresent in other places and, and not so in America. And I just had this idea, vague idea, like is true for us so much of the time that, Oh, there's probably a show in this. Some, some funny advertising story to tell here. Little did I realize in researching the Fanta story that it's really a Hitler story. (laughs) As happens so often when we do 20th century history, 
You try to avoid Nazis. I really do. It's just like America today. It's just like you were talking about beautiful northern Idaho earlier in the week. You yep. try to avoid Nazis, but then, then you just stumble on them. What was the, what was the last show I did that had a, uh, a, a Nazi turns out? Couldn't have been that long ago, right? I'm pretty sure it wasn't Beanie Babies. I'm really trying to. We, we delayed a viewer suggested, a listener suggested show just because we knew it was going to have Nazis at the end. Yeah. You said, what about this? And I was like, no more Nazis, please. Maybe Der Grosser. Yeah, that definitely had Nazis in it. But that's been, that's been 20 shows. <laughs> okay. It's been Good. months. Good. Well, it's about time we got back to it. So what have the Nazis been up to since they were uh, driving around in big Mercedes? Well, this actually predates their driving around in big Mercedes. I should, uh, going back to the beginning of the Coca-Cola story, we talked about it a little bit at the top of the show. Coke dates to 1886. Um, and by 1923, it was a popular pop here in the United States. Or a soda Euler soda. Largely unknown uh, worldwide and kind of, you know, keep, keeping its hand in uh, here in the States. But it was not the global behemoth that it became. And a man by the name of Rod, Robert Woodruff became president of Coke. And he had a, you know, he was a good businessman and he wanted Coke to be... Uh, a major American product. He was friends with, he was rubbing shoulders with all the standard oil types. What's the era here? He's in the- Early 20s. Okay. And he begins, uh, he begins a project to expand Coke's reach globally. He starts a part. Par- He's the one that wants to buy the world of Coke. He did. We, originally- have, we have found patient zero. No, he wanted to sell the world of Coke. Yeah, that's true. He started a, a department at, at Coke called the Foreign Department, which uh, then kind of morphed into something called the Coca-Cola Export Corporation. And the, the mandate was go out and, and start bottling plants in different countries. And the bottling plant would, would provide, you know, the, the, re, the regional bottling plant would provide the bottles and the water and the sugar, which were kind of the, uh, that's the hard stuff to export. You're not going to put that in a tanker. Yeah. It costs a lot of money to send all that stuff pre-bottled. Yeah. And then Coke would just send their seven X formula out and the bottling plants would, that would be a kind of standardization. And part of it was to keep the, the sauce secret. Sure. And part of it was that, uh, if you, if, if every one of your bottling plants is is cooking up its own brew, much more likely that they're going to say, we don't have any coriander, but why don't we put in this mustard because it's France and everybody loves mustard. So the 7X comes from Atlanta, but everything else is local labor and parts. It's right. It's colonialism. It's colonialism. So easy to say. (laughs) You can see why that's caught on with academics today. So it, uh, one of the places that has a, a bottling plant is, Germany, but there are there are bottling plants. There are twenty seven different countries that that are part of Coke's expansion, and uh, Coke does pretty well in Europe. Um, they sponsor the nineteen twenty eight Olympics in Amsterdam. Really, and that seems the, very early for soda and sports. Yeah, and it it was, um, and they they were very prevalent at the twenty eight Olympics, and that sort of spread the reputation of Coke around the world because everybody, you know, the Olympics, everybody's there. And so Coke becomes a, you know, it's a going concern. And the Germans especially sort of take to it. There's a, the man in charge of the Coca-Cola company 
in Germany is an American expatriate by the name of Ray Rivington Powers, and he's got his finger on the pulse of what's hip in Germany. And Ray Powers, um, he's like a, a, a charismatic salesman, a, not a very good businessman, but he expands the, um, the Coke empire in Germany until they're selling 100,000 cases a year. And in 1933, he hires an assistant or, you know, a young kind of engineer, businessman, Coke guy who's a native German by the name of Max Kite. And it's spelled, his last name spelled Keith, what we would say Keith, but pronounced Kite. Kite. Interesting. So Keith Richards can literally be high as a kite. Yeah. He's Kite, Kite Richards. Okay. Max Kite. And Max Kite is a really good businessman. He's uh, maybe not as charismatic, but super good at business. Prussian efficiency. And then Ray Powers uh, dies in a car accident. And Max Kite takes over and becomes a uh, like a business juggernaut and starts selling Coke in Germany like it ain't no thing. And he positions Coke... Initially, as an as an American pop, yeah. Um, but as time goes on, he really tries to nativize the Coke story, so that it becomes. Is this because of the political direction of Germany in the post nineteen thirty three? Well, so thirty three right is the beginning of the real Nazi yeah. era, and maybe that's when you start de-Americanizing your American brands, just and, in case. And, and so this happens gradually. He's um, he's. You know, he's he's raising he's I'm sorry he's raising Coke's profile as uh, as German becomes more and more nativist and protectionist. In fact, one of his competitors, um, a, a cola company called Afri Cola, which is still available in Germany, and I've had Afri Cola, and I was always wondering like why is it what is it? It's got, I'm sure it has offensive old ads, right? It, it does. Uh, the most offensive thing that Africola contributes to this story is that some representatives of Africola were touring in America and saw Coke for sale there and noticed on the bottle caps that there was the Hebrew letter for kosher. Oh, right. And took that back to Germany and said, Coca-Cola is, uh, is Jewish. Jewish conspiracy. And there was a, a, a Jewish guy on the board of directors, Harold Hirsch, and they actually said, you know, the, the kind of German distributors of Coke went back to Woodruff and said, Hey, we got to get this Hirsch off your board. It's affecting our sales off of the American Coca-Cola company. Yeah. And Woodruff to his credit said, no, Oh, okay. Me and, and Harold are thick as thieves. Yeah. But at that point, Max Kite distanced Coke in Germany from the United States and their ads I mean, you know, there were independent bottling and, and it yeah. was called Coca-Cola GmbH. So it was a, it was a separate, he made the case that it was a separate, well, no, this was Woodruff's plan too, right? All of these Coke bottling companies were independent and Kite started to, if you look at the Coke ads from the thirties, they are super duper third Reich. <laughs> you know, you're just chiseled jawed, uh, uh, braided hair, Aryan Superman, Aryan super. Uh, kinder drinking Coke and kite sidled up to the Nazis and 
really kind of co-branded Coke in Germany with the Nazi party. Coke would sponsor Nazi rallies. Seems like a risk. I mean, well, the MyPillow guy took that risk, but not many American companies have recently. So Kite was extremely cagey. And depending on what article you read now, Mm -hmm. um, it's very clear that Kite put Coke front and center in the Nazi era. And the question is, is he just some holding his nose schemer, Oscar Schindler type? He also studiously avoided ever joining the Nazi party. Huh. And he would have, like he had a conference. He, he attended the ninth annual concessionaire convention right at the same moment that Hitler was Anschlussing Austria. And he had the, it was a big Coke celebration, but they had a big banner with Hitler on it. And as everyone was Sieg Heiling, he also got everyone to, uh, you know, to like stand up and salute and pledge their allegiance to Coca-Cola. Really? So. They're Sieg Heiling with one hand and and drinking a. The pause that refreshes with the other hand. It's really unclear whether they were Sieg Heiling Coke. Um, he's so Kite is a, a Coke loyalist, and he's in touch with Woodruff through all of this. Yeah, what does the American board think of? I mean, on the one hand, that's great brand loyalty, I guess. Well, by 1938, he's gone from selling a hundred thousand cases of Coke in Germany to selling four million cases a year of Coke. Wow, it's a huge success story, and to most Germans at the time, um. The, the real push toward branding Coke as a German company meant that they had lost the sense of it as an American yeah, product. It was not a big selling product back when it had closer import ties. No, it was a, it was a German drink, huh. drunken. And so Coke sponsored the 36 Berlin Olympics. Coke was everywhere in 36 and the Germans took it as a, I mean, at, at most of the attendees there in Berlin saw it as a, who, who weren't from America or, yeah. the, or the rest of the world that knew it as an American drink, saw it as a, as a local beverage made good. Um, and, you know, apparently Hitler enjoyed a Coke. Is that true? Yeah. We have, we have testimony. There's this anecdote that he had, you know, he was sitting in his private theater it, in the in whatever his bunker was at the time, watching his copy of Gone with the Wind <laughs> and drinking a delicious Coke. Um, kind of an America file, that guy. Yeah, for a while. It's like when they found all that porn on Osama's computer. <laughs> Spring is here, John. Spring is sprung. I'm so into it. The the grass is green. The Birds are singing. Do you have a spring look you'd like to announce? This is the fashion portion of the omnibus where you announce what's in for spring. Uh, colors. <sighs> colors. 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 I love it. How about colors. Me? How about- colors. <laughs> yeah. Gang colors are in. <laughs> Die for your life when your shotgun scatter. How about like maybe cuts or fashion? Yeah. 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 Colors, cuts, S- fashion. I think style. Style. Style's going to be big this you spring. You know what? Style's back. Style is finally styled back, back in a big way. You know who's the expert when it comes to stylish essentials, John? Me, me, me. In addition to you, my daughter. You're in addition to you and your daughter. She's very into stylish, fashionable 
But number three on the list. Yeah. No less than Mac Weldon. I was about to say Mac Weldon. Mac with a K. Mac Weldon, they've got sweatshirts, they've got sweatpants, and wait, sweat shorts. Is that even a thing? Sweat shorts. It's a new thing I mean, that you, Mac Weldon is premiering. You could just buy their sweatpants, mm-hmm. cut them off at the knee, and then you'd have a pair of sweat shorts and uh, maybe two arm warmers? No, why not just get sweat shorts right, <sighs> right out of the box? They feel great. They're really their casual wear is really soft. It feels it nice. Ooh, it's soft. It's good for running. I yep. mean, we're coming out of a pandemic. You might have to leave the house. Uh, uh, if you want to get into shape yep. before that happens, yep. Before people seeing you from the neck down, you got all the the options, all of the zip options. You got half zip, you got full zip. Mac Weldon does it all. The daily wear system means you can re- really wear any of their stuff together. So even if style is not what's back for you this spring, well, Mac Weldon will take care of that for you. Yeah, let me push back on that. You you could. Not be into style at all, and Mac Weldon is your style. You will look fantastic no mm-hmm. matter how unstylish you feel. A lot of it is water resistant. Uh, it's, it's all eco, here. E- eco-responsible fabrics. So you know how we feel about Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon's uh, daily wear system, the latest innovation. Give it the program. Follow the science. Colors are in, but also black and gray are in, as always. Check out Mac Weldon for yourself, if you haven't, and save 20% on your first order. We can save you 20%. Visit MacWeldon.com slash time and enter promo code time. Again, that's MacWeldon.com slash time and enter promo code time for 20% off. Find your perfect look for this spring. You better. And all this time, of course, Woodruff is sending... Kite his 7X formula, right? Kite can't be making this at yeah. home. This is coming from the United States. At what point is there some going to import ban on, on an American company? Well, so that started to happen. Uh, and at the, at the start of the war in 38, of course, um, there were import bans, but America wasn't yet in the war. Right. So he could keep getting the syrup. And there were bans in Germany on, first of all, glassware was always um, kind of privileged to making bomb sites and telescopes and stuff or, sure. or, or uh, you know, whatever, binoculars. But Kite got around it because with every successive country the Germans invaded, they also took over the Coke bottling plants that were there. And so, and then when they invaded... They're carbon neutral, but with glass. Yeah. When they invaded the Sudetenland, uh, all of those bohemian glassmakers and all of the Germans that lived in the Sudetenland that understood glass blowing, Kite got in there really fast and was like, I'm going to need these people. There was a ban on... on, Sugar, like all the sugar was yeah, co-opted. Because they were, there were shortages. But he got in and, and arranged to have a certain percentage of the beet sugar uh, allotted to his manufacture of, of the pop. And he stockpiled enough of the Coke 7X formula that when the United States finally entered the war and all ties were severed, he could no longer talk to Woodruff. Coke and Coke Germany were... They were both still producing Coke on the opposite sides of the war. Yeah. And he was, he still had enough Coke syrup 
that he was, he continued to manufacture Coke. Now he, it started to be scarce yeah, because he was reserving it for, uh, well, and strangely, the last place it was available was in hospitals. Coke was being given to wounded soldiers and then later only members of the Nazi party wounded soldiers. They could keep getting Coke until 1942. I wonder if he started cutting it with something. Hmm. It's interesting that- Amphetamine? Um, well, that's what I was going to say. We think that we think the Third Reich ran on meth and benzodrine, but apparently Coke was their recreational stimulant of choice. They loved Coke. Another thing that, that allowed him to really promote Coke was the, the Nazis had a campaign against drunkenness. Oh. And so they were always pushing, like, stop drinking so much, don't drink so much Isn't beer. Isn't that weird from a, for a Bavarian political movement? Well, yeah, but... I was, guess in times of war, you got to do what you got to do. You know, they were anti-Catholic and pro-soda pop. Yeah. Um, so Coke was always presented as the good Aryan drink that... Which is funny, because it's, you know, bottle of chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> Na- nature's goodness. <laughs> but so... Uh, at a certain point in the, early in the war, um, most American brands in Germany were nationalized, right? I mean, Ford, GM, IBM. I mean, these companies that were American. This, the, government, the, the Reich took over the factories. The Reich took them over and imprisoned their American leaders. But Kite kept on the other side of it, kept Coca-Cola open. Uh, by getting himself appointed the head of the office of enemy property. So the very, the very part of the German government infrastructure that took over American businesses and nationalized them, he was in charge of. And so he kept Coke GmbH. He, he is open. Oscar Schindler, except he has no interest in saving any lives. <laughs> he just wants to get every possible <coughs> bottle of Coke on the shelves. He can, he loves Coke and he's so loyal to Coke, uh, that throughout the war, he fights off every attempt that people in the German government make to either shut down Coke or to rename Coke or to capture Coke. But by 42, he's out of Coke. Out of 7X. He's got no 7X, and he can't keep making Coca-Cola. And so he's got a bunch of... Um, he's got a bunch of guys just messing around with coriander and they can't get it right. <laughs> he does. He's got all these chemists, all these people like, what do we do? What can we, and also there's not, you know, coriander is sequestered for the war effort because it's, you know, they've yeah. got to be making, you got to put cilantro you know, on your, uh, lamb vindaloo. On your so he's got a bunch of chemists sitting around working on something they can make and they come up with a, a recipe made out of what he called the, um, Kite called it, an, uh, the ingredients were the leftovers of the leftovers. They, they combined. They only had the stuff that no other industry wanted. Yeah. They combined the, like, uh, apple leavings from making cider, <laughs> the kind of pressed out uh, apple rinds and fibers from the cider making industry, combined with, the leftover whey from the cheese-making industry and a little bit of beet sugar, and they made this semi-drinkable beverage that kind of resembled ginger ale. It was opaque, kind of the whey made it a little bit 
It's kind, of what ha- it's kind of what happens if you order like a ginger ale at a restaurant that says, oh, yeah, we'll just have the bar make you one. Yeah. And then they just put like six things together. Here's a yeah. little Coke and Bitters, here's a little. Yeah. 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 It's like ginger ale. I've well, had, I've had a million of those. Is it? They're never like ginger ale. No. But in this case, and he's sitting around, he's got all his team there and he's like, okay, we've come up with this beverage. Like, what do we do? What do we call it? Like, use your imaginations. And in German, the word imagination is fantasy. And his chief salesman, Joe Knipt, or Knip, Knip, yeah, stands up and goes, Fanta, fantasy, Fanta, that's it, exclamation point. And they call it Fanta. They bottle it. It's cheese and apples and beets. And it is a runaway smash in Germany during the war. By 1943, they're selling 3 million cases of Fanta. No more Coke, but it is presented as uh, the patriotic beverage of the Reich. And, uh, and it, it, it goes off, right? And they're, and of course they're exporting it to everywhere in the Reich. So Fanta becomes a kind of European symbol of, and it's, and it's presented, you know, it's, it's short for fantasy, or fantastic, fantastisch. I've been to a like in a down market German amusement park called Fantasia Land. Mm-hmm. So they still have the they still have the root meaning dream or whatever imagination. And, and then toward the end of the war, Fanta, uh, uh, some large part of its sales was due to the fact that people were adding Fanta to stews and soups because there wasn't anything. Like all the flavors yeah. were gone. You couldn't get, you couldn't, there wasn't access to anything, right? At You're least this salt. has whey and uh, pressed apple. Yeah, and sugar. I mean, it's yeah. got, it's sugary. So Fanta became an ingredient in, in late stage German cooking. At the, at the end of the war, um, communication was reestablished. And one of the first things that happened was uh, Robert Woodruff sent over a big liner of seven X. <laughs> he connected, he connected with um, with Max, and Max throughout the entire war. Although he was as close to the Nazis as you could be, he never joined the party. He'd never he'd never um, sworn a vow. He's hedging his bets. And the first telegram he sends to Robert Woodruff is. Coca-Cola GmbH is still functioning. Send auditors. <laughs> like, I did it. I kept... He really thinks he's Oscar Schindler. I did it. I kept Coca-Cola alive. He did. And Woodruff hired him back. And Max Kite sent the profits that he'd made from Fanta to Coca-Cola at the end of the war. He did not profiteer. Wow. He had kept the books... He knew how much money he'd made and he had it all and he sent it back to Coke. So he was in Coke's good graces. Now, as the Americans made their way into Germany, before the war was over, they were already, because a lot of those bottling plants had been bombed during the war, they were already setting up those bottling plants and getting Coke back in production in Europe. It had, you know, this is part of our American. Uh, it's part of the takeover where the guns haven't even uh, right. um, cooled off and we're back making Coke. P- apparently in some places they were already making Coke in Europe by April of 45. <laughs> uh, and 
Um, what, what was it called? And uh, what did they call it during the pandemic? The businesses that could stay open, essential. Oh, essential workers. Essential workers, something like in River State of Washington decided the cannabis. That's right. Stores were essential workers. Uh, Kite becomes president of Coca-Cola Europe. And Fanta is uh, gradually kind of, they continue to sell it and in at Germany. Point, and at this point, there's not a bunch of flavors of Fanta. It's nope. still just uh, apple, apple, cores apple, and cheese. apple cheese goop. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But in 1955, an Italian member of the Coke bottling family takes Fanta and adds citrus to it because, you know, in Italy, they had a lot of right. citrus groves. And so they added orange to it and they developed in, in Italy, the, um, the recipe that became the Fanta that we know, which is the orange is the original, the orange was the original. And so, uh, so Coca-Cola Europe, which has been selling Fanta all along, this new product of Naples becomes the new, the new kind of definitive Fanta. And they're selling it throughout Europe by mid-50s, and it's a huge hit. Now, Coke owns it, but Coke is afraid to bring it to the United States because it's so popular in Europe, they're afraid it's going to undermine Coke itself. I see. Their, their Coke sales could decrease if people catch on to... Well, do you know Germany's solution for that? Have, mm. you, ever, have you ever had a delicious can of Mezzo Mix in Germany? Yeah, what is Mezzo it's Mix? Like, it's, this, it's this homegrown drink called Spezi, which is like half orange soda, half cola. Right. Like they split the difference. It's like my, my kid's favorite drink. My son's favorite drink in, in Germany is this weird Mezzo. orange cola hybrid. Yeah, wow. I mean, that's and basically a, like the suicide that you would make at the roller rink. Sure, exactly. Right? Have Coke, have, or Coke, root beer, Dr. Pepper, There's no There's orange. no grape in it, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I wonder if that came out of the war with Coke and orange being the, the, the two surviving flavors. soft drink brands. Well, 1960, Coca-Cola was kind of getting hit on all sides by the by all these new flavors of, of pop in America, 7-Up and um, Dr. Pepper and Grape Pop and Orange Pop. And it was all uh, putting pressure on Coke, which still only had one product in the United States. And so Coke introduced Fanta. Didn't really push it that hard. But, you know, like I said before, by the time I was a kid, uh, Fanta was a big part of the Coke lineup. Um. In 1957, Coke actually gave Max Schmeling, the boxer that beat Joe Lewis, yeah. uh, like Hitler's Nazi poster child. Literally, right? That's yeah. That famous picture of him knocking out Joe Lewis that Hitler had on his wall. Or yeah, something. yeah. And he and he he and Hitler were were pals. I think he kept a picture, a signed picture of Hitler on his desk. Did you see the news, by the way, last month that like Glenn Beck has that picture behind him in, in a bunch of photos? Of Max Schelling? Of Max Schelling knocking out Joe Lewis. No. Which, you know, if you know the history is a little bit of an eyebrow raiser. Whoa. So I hear Hitler liked this photo. Yeah. I don't know much about it, but I'm going to get me one. He really beat that black guy. You got it. can't deny it. Um, they actually gave uh, Max the the bottling plant in Hamburg. He became a Coke bottler. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and I think kept the pic picture of Hitler on his desk. Like in the 50s? Yeah. The, 57. My, he my knowledge time. of Coke from this period, have you ever seen the Billy Wilder movie One Two Three? 
No. It's like Jimmy Cagney's last movie for a couple decades. He plays like an uh, American expat Coke executive in Divided Berlin. Mm-hmm. It's a real kind of fast-talking thing with lots of Cold War-era jokes about the East Germans and the Soviets and you know American go-go capitalism versus uh, hidebound uh, uh, collectivization. And it's a, it's a very funny satire, but by this at this point, they're definitely presenting Coke again as the popular but American thing. Yeah, you know, like it's definitely like an island of of uh, American culture in the middle of you know creeping Soviet influence and Europe, basically. You know, it's an American island again. The, the idea of Coke as any kind of homegrown German thing, I guess, is gone at this point, at least for American viewers. It's funny because when. Uh when German prisoners of war were first brought to America yeah. and were handed Coca-Colas, you know, like, all right, well, you're here in the prison camp now, you know, here's, here's a Coke. A lot of them said, you have Coke here too? Like, how did you get, <laughs> how did you get German Coke? You made me feel so at home. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for giving me this specialty of my homeland. After the war, Coca-Cola internationally reasserted itself as a, no, this is a homegrown American thing. But Fanta did not, right? People in Europe do not think of Fanta as a Coke product or an American thing at all. None of the none of the branding was Coke related. No. When I was a kid, it was they were in white and colored cans. Yeah. You know, purple or orange, depending on the flavor. And you'd have to look at the back to see that it was a registered mark of the Coca-Cola company. Uh Fanta is the number two soda globally, but it's only number eight in the US. I'm surprised it's that high. Um, yeah, I know. I, I guess I don't. I don't do a lot of shopping for orange and grape flavored. A lot of it, soda, I think, is I'm that six. you know, it's the orange pop of record at McDonald's and you know, like anywhere that Coke products are sold. So it's a lot of fountain sales. It's, probably it's a lot of that, or it's just it becomes the default orange uh, soda wherever you are. In 2015, um, in Germany, there was a 75 year anniversary party for Fanta. Uh, and they reissued Fanta in the original bottles, which had, you know, a very iconic kind of mid-century uh, logo, had like two, two little mountain peaks and it said Fanta. And the ad campaign said, 75 years ago, resources for our beloved Coke were scarce <laughs> for reasons that we will not go into in this campaign. Uh, but, um, but now we're taking it back to the flavor of the good old days. And of course, <laughs> yeah, people, well, it's, it's people not... there were, were quick to point out that the good old days were, were the, were, uh, the, the last days of the third, right? Yeah, the middle, middle of the, of the end of the third, right? It's not apple and whey, right? They, did they rebring, they didn't bring back the original ingredients. No, they were still, I think, well, no, wait a minute. Uh, no, it was just, it was just the ad. That doesn't surprise me that nostalgia for Nazism travels better than nostalgia for whey based pop, whey and apple based pop. What's, what's really interesting about this is that, you know, there's no way that Coke can deny this association but fanta remains the number two most popular drink in the world way it's uh, this is way more of a of a thing than uh adidas and puma right i mean even more than volkswagen even more than volkswagen and mercedes um this is the number two soft drink 
And so Coke, in all of their literature, in all of their stories, says, yes, Fanta was invented in Germany in, you know, 75 years ago. Oh, but it doesn't give a year. (laughs) They're very careful to say that Max Kite was never a member of the Nazi party. And in all of their promotional material, they leave it at that. And it's true. He wasn't. Um, But (laughs) I feel like if you have to say that in an ad, by the way, he was not a member of the Nazi party. I mean, that's... (laughs) The man who invented Fanta (laughs) was in Germany at the time... Just a coincidence. My, our founder was never a member of the Nazi party t-shirt is raising a lot of questions already answered by my t-shirt. And that concludes Fanta Juanta, entry 453.EX1524, certificate number 25939, in the omnibus. As we always remind listeners of any time period, we were... Always against Nazism. A hundred percent. Literally nothing about the aesthetic. The we don't like the food. Nope. When you look, we don't like the pop. When you look back, uh, seventy-five years from now, you will not have to apologize for omnibus. No, their foreign policy was bad. Domestic policy worse. Mm-hmm. Really, not a lot of bright spots. Mm-mm. Honestly, the trains didn't even run on time. That's no. a myth. No. No, they were probably on time before when nobody was blown up the tracks. No, they were never on. T- trains have never been on time anywhere. In Japan. Oh, yeah, I guess. In, like, I've definitely been on a Japanese bullet train and heard an announcement and asked somebody, excuse me, what did they say? Because I was afraid, like, I'm on the wrong train. Yeah. And I was told, oh, the train is going to leave a minute and a half late. And that's an apology from the company. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, and as products of our time, John and I uh, oppose Nazism as vocally as anyone, but we were also on social media, so nobody's perfect. Mm. Uh, I was at Ken Jennings. John was at John Roderick. You could find us jointly as at Omnibus Project on all of your favorite platforms and streaming services. Uh, we are against social media, though, or at least I am, and I think you're increasingly doing it. Did you say today that you're tweeting a lot less? Oh, I, yeah. I've, that feels like a big step. A shadow of my former self. And it feels great. Yeah, it is. It's a good feeling. Somebody said yesterday on Twitter, so apparently I still have a problem. I guess so. Somebody said, it's a cool place you can meet new people and also just destroy your psyche. You know? <laughs> and I'm not phrasing it as wittily. Can as you really meet new people there, though? Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of cool people there. I mean, oh, right. what does meat mean? But it mean, it makes them uncool. <laughs> if they're like, on Twitter? As time goes by, being on Twitter takes your cool away. <laughs> it's true. You need to find the new blood and like mm-hmm. suck all the life out of them <laughs> before they before they understand all the in-jokes and become as messed up as we are. It's like Marceline's dad on Adventure Time. He's just there to suck souls. <laughs> uh, you can find fellow futurelings from all eras at uh, just by Googling the word Futureling on Facebook or, or, or Reddit or what have you. Try it. What's, well, you're not going to Google it on Facebook unless Googling something has become the Fanta of, has, has become the Coca-Cola of Atlanta. I'll have a Google. What flavor? Bing. I'm going to say, I'm going to put Futurelings into Google. Uh, the first thing that comes up is the Reddit. Mm, interesting. Omnibus Podcast Futurelings on Reddit. Facebook's trying to keep Google out. Facebook is second. And then futurelings.com, which apparently we own. Is that true? I no. Think- That's a different group. 
who are these people? They're the Omnibus Futurelings, but they have their own website. <laughs> Futurelings.com? Who got that? Didn't we register that? Oh, no, oh. we got the... Um no, we got the uh, Twitter handle, but somebody else already had the URL. Oh, it's very funny. It's uh, it's like 8-bit software graphics. Oh, I think that's, that's charming. And it has links to the Facebook group. And then there's a Goodreads Futurelings group where they're sharing book stuff with one another. Well, that's a great idea. You can go to Cotton Bureau and buy Futureling t-shirts. Uh, yeah, so it goes on and on. There are different subreddits. Libred. Uh, Twitter is like 10th thing down. Another new way to meet fun people and just ruin your mind on life. There's the omnibusproject.com merchandise store where you can go buy omnibus themed stuff. There's shirts and stuff for sale. So anyway, boy, a lot of places you can meet the futurelings. What a fun, uh, social opportunity for you. You could email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com or send us physical items to PO Box 55744. Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I only have a couple of things here. Somebody sent us a thank you note for the um, for the show notes we sent over. If, oh, if nice. You, if you give at the uh, the third of the five tiers on our Patreon, you get a copy of our original show notes signed by John and myself. Mm-hmm. And this person is the first one ever to say thank you. After, hey. I mean, I guess the, everybody else said thank you by supporting the Patreon every month. Right. But this guy did that and sent over a thank you card. So you are very welcome, uh, Jeff. Let's see. We also got a postcard from Paula, who is participating in the Omnibus Postcard Exchange this year. That's something that the Facebook group is doing. Although she sent us a postcard, and I hope she knows that we're not doing the Omnibus Postcard Exchange. (laughs) We are uninvolved and, in fact, strongly, strongly disapprove. I have no idea why I bought this postcard when I was in London in 1994, but I did. But it is very ominous. It's a, it's a kind of a boring recruiting poster for the Royal Navy that looks, well, maybe more like the label of a Worcestershire sauce bottle. Oh uh, yeah, it's back before recruiting posters were big and iconic, at least in the UK. Well, in the UK, uh, selling something through its association with Worcestershire sauce is as that's the number one way to get soldiers <laughs> is to promise them <laughs> brown like, sauce. Mm, delicious. They're looking for recruits between the ages of 18 and 38. Uh, and, oh, chest measurement 34. Mm. Height 5 foot 3 or 5 foot 3 and a half or higher. Hmm. 5 foot 3 and a half. They're, they're okay with some pretty short sailors. Well, you know, they have to get in those tight spaces. They do. Those are for the submarines. Payment from one-third per day. One-third of a what, do you suppose? This is like the sugar. <laughs> one-third of a ration. One-third of a rasher of bacon. One-third of a, of a, of a ladle of grog. One-third of a... I mean, I'm trying to do the math. Is it, it can't be one-third of a pound per day. Oh, yes, it could. Yeah. Yeah, it could. Sure. Okay. But you do have to have a chest measurement 34, and it doesn't say what that is. 34... That's not huge. No. A 34-inch chest. I'm a 34C, so I guess I could be in the Royal Navy. You are a 34C jacket? Yeah. No, or that's, that's my bra. That's my bra <laughs> cup size. Huh. I, I don't think that's true. It even has a list of battalions you can join. You have your choice of the Benbow, the Collingwood, the Hawker, the Drake, or the Howe, the Hood, the Anson, and the Nelson in the 2nd Brigade. 
I, I wouldn't be picky if I were recruiting Navy soldiers during World War One, which this is 1915. I think I would be okay with the sunkenest chests that uh, <laughs> the coal mines of Wales could provide me. Yeah, I mean, the more sunken their chests, I mean, I, it's a bad omen for if you're a submariner. That's true. A but sunken maybe, chest. But you can turn sideways, and a cannonball will just whiz right by you in the in the cavity left by your non 34 inch. Torso. Maybe it's a reference to the sunken chest of Davy Jones. Arr. Apparently, I'm just discovering there is now a podcast called The Omnibus Podcast. This is new. Featuring State Representative Jim, Jeremy Munson, Republican from Lake Crystal, Minnesota. That's because omnibus is like a legislative term for a bill that contains yeah. everything. And Albertville City Councilman and political activist Walter Hudson. So it, is this like from the left, from the right? I don't know it. I, Why is a Minnesota Republican doing a podcast with an activist? Well, he might be a conservative activist, different kind of activist. But it I guess. pops up. It pops up when you Google Omnibus Project, but then there doesn't appear to be any more information about oh, it. Oh, this is the guy that proposed Minnesota, Minnesota, rural Minnesota seceding to South Dakota. Do you remember this guy? No. What? How would that possibly benefit either place? I think it's just more like. A new civil war is coming. We want to join our Republican brethren, not not oh. those l- public radio listening liberals in St. Paul. Right. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's a, it's a state of, uh, what's it called? State of Jefferson. State of Jefferson. Kind of thing. It's a Jefferson state of mind. And I mentioned the Patreon obliquely, but if you would like to... Mention it more directly. If you would like to donate... Uh, to the running of the show every month and send us a thank you note when we send you fun prizes because why wouldn't you mm-hmm. how did you isn't that how your mom raised you mm-hmm. you can find out how to do that at patreon.com slash omnibus project i'm on i went to that uh you know listening to representative munson's show no but i went to the the um the futurelings website and they have a they have a whole message board. You're really hyping this thing that you um, are not sure if it's good or not. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's good, but I mean, they have a message board. Good for them. Um, what year is it? I mean, it doesn't have a ton of uh, engagement, but um, but it's there. They have em- uh, entries for all of our episodes. Are, but are we fracturing the uh, fandom by telling all the Facebook and the Reddit people about this new uh, no, I don't know. You know, I... I I have a message board over on my Patreon at patreon.com slash johnroderick.com. You happen to mention <laughs> dot com. <laughs> and, uh, and they talk about future link stuff all the time, too. So. You should go there. Cost money. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.